22nd episode of the National Institute for Gamer Review. I am DK. I am Lewis, and I'm sure you've all paid for this episode, correct? Yeah, yeah, you're all uh, uh, paying subscribers, right? This isn't... Uh... <laughs> yeah, so today we're discussing um, piracy, which I, I was thinking about. I was like, well, this is, you know, cause we, we had it tabled for the National Institute of Gamer Review. In, in some ways, it's almost a, um, like a culture terror crossover, I guess you could say, because it's, it's a cultural phenomenon of a certain sort um and and i think we'll be discussing it as such but um yeah uh and and by piracy of course we're not referring to the um the skull and crossbones variety which which borzoi reliably informs us is extremely jewish and i look forward at some point to looking into the, the secret jewish history of of uh caribbean pirates but um the more the more modern variety of uh uh what they call piracy, which I've never 100% really understood, like, why they call it piracy. Well, yeah, please. Well, I, I think the origin is from Pirate Radio, which was doing the okay. same thing. Pirate Radio was off the grid, well, off the FCC or whatever, uh, European equivalent. Someone has a radio broadcasting on a net without paying the FCC or the European equivalent for the license. Right. So they are running it, and they're also, because they're, they're doing that doing this they're not paying off the record labels and i think the record labels have had the power to kind of brand this um, phenomenon as piracy in the same way pirate radio now where pirate radio gets its origin i have no idea yeah why they call it why they would we why they would call it piracy specifically i get that like yeah of course the the radio is, and that, that was also in the days um when like the music industry was very very tightly controlled not that, i mean it's it is i guess still tightly controlled but not quite in the same way and obviously the music industry plays a huge role in, in really gaming piracy came after music piracy uh, i think it's fair to say and and um and so we'll discuss that in, in in a second but but yeah you could see i guess the analogy with pirate radio and 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 specifically um how yeah like in those days um not even just the 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 corporate structure in terms of like the you know basically the it was very similar to the the old hollywood system maybe people are more familiar with that where basically like the hollywood stars were essentially owned by the studios it was i mean it wasn't slave labor because they were getting paid sometimes quite a lot but the studios owned every aspect of their lives uh including their appearance who they were allowed to date who what who they were allowed to see socially what they were i mean it was it was kind of top to bottom social control over the every element of the of the filmmaking apparatus um and you had a very similar thing with the music studio system um and and until until quite recently and um yeah the the that extended into the radio broadcasts and you had the payola scandal where uh essentially um the the popularity ratings like the top 40 type stuff was 
was rigged um, and and disc jockeys were getting paid by the recording companies to play certain tracks more than others and I guess and, and of course receive a like the the radio station receives uh, pays to play the music from the radio company so the radio company the sorry the music publisher receives a cut every single time uh, that a music uh, that a song is played on the radio that's still the case today of course and with streaming and all that um, and then the the DJs would get a cut like a smaller cut but still a cut from the from the uh, music publishers themselves and so this is all very corrupt and all very you know corporate and and so on and yeah pirate radio was an early kind of outburst of um, that energy and I guess I, I I don't know why again the the name pirate came up but yeah it was it was it was I guess violating copyright laws specifically regarding the um, the intellectual property of the music publishers because in those days uh, typically artists wouldn't even own their own um, their own copyright to their own music this is where you get insane situations like. Uh, uh, John Fogarty of Creedence Clearwater Revival being sued for uh, plagiarism because he was playing his own songs that he wrote when he was under contract with Creedence Clearwater Revival, uh, and the, but the, the IP was technically owned by the record company, and and so when he would play his own songs, they're like, no, no, that's ours, even though you wrote it, you're, and so you're plagiarizing essentially yourself because we own your, we own you, and. Um, Fortunately, that was thrown out, and there's a whole kind of interesting. I I always thought intellectual property law was was um, very interesting, and there's all kinds of cool stuff with it, especially nowadays with with uh, genome stuff and human genome stuff, and like who owns genetic code, and when you spit in the little tube and send it off to 23andMe, like whose intellectual property is that, um, or you know, etc. Like there's all kinds of cool stuff with that. But um, anyway, I don't want to get too too far afield. Um, what was your what was your first experience with with piracy? So this is a very unique to me and my age. Napster was the first computer program I have any memory of, um, because it was because basically if you're going to use Napster, you're going to be using it quite a lot for one. And my parents were young enough to and hip enough to in the late '90s, early 2000s, have downloaded Napster and. My parents' uh, movie library, or not movie, sorry, music library to this day is uh, a large portion of that is just songs they downloaded and put on a hard drive in in the early 2000s. So, and because, you know, if you're running Appster, you're running it damn near around the clock, um, you know. Gotta get that 50, uh, you gotta get those 50 kbps, like uh, all, yeah, exactly. I know, that. I know that and the logo is like that is kind of distinctive it's like a kind of a digital kind of a Mickey Mouse image kind of and or, or, or cat I guess it's supposed to be but uh, it's, it's very recognizable for a child uh, and I didn't know what it did um, and then I asked what it did uh, when I was older and I was barely cognizant of like what music was as a as a Thing you pay for, and I asked my mother, "Well, what what is Napster?" And it remained on my father's computer for like five, six years after it was a thing. I think he just never deleted the icon from the browser, or you know, the, all the, or the, the desktop. And she said, "Well, it was free music, but that was bad because uh, we were stealing it." And I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, <laughs> I, I 
Because the concept of stealing is you can just... Information wants to be free, man. It's yeah, not theft. Right. And then... So... And then she, and then she played me uh, the song by... It's bluegrass artist Gillian Welsh, which she wrote as like a kind of a protest song at the time called Everything is Free Now. And it's a very sad, like, bluegrassy tune about... Uh, it's looking back on it, it's ridiculous because like I don't think this, she's a kind of a not niche she's somewhat popular I think in her day but she's this you know excellent female vocalist but like there's no way she was making a bunch of CD money right um, an artist kind of, that's one of the things that people were early rationalized was like no one was really making money off uh, or artists weren't making money off that stuff in terms of like uh, you know album sales it was always the touring and you could always tour and make money no matter what Napster was doing but it's this song about like uh, how she's going to go back to work as a waitress because uh, people are, you know, downloading for free. And I, so that makes sense. And I didn't really re realize, re revisit or recontextualize that what piracy was until much later. And uh, I was always kind of surprised that my parents with it that they were doing that at the time. Because uh, it was... Yeah, that's definitely, it was something like teenagers were doing. It's more so yeah. than adults. For sure, yeah. and with children, Napster yeah. at its height was was well, I say only twenty, we only twenty six million users, which sounds like a lot, but in terms of like modern internet, it's nothing, right? You know, uh, that's you know, uh, also I mean, Napster was also like the arc was pretty quick. Well, let's, we can go to it, but that, that's my first piece of piracy. Yeah, um, cool. I well, I'll, I'll get into it in a second. Yes, I um, I wanted to say because I, I was doing a little research and on the fly and and i think our uh, I, I i dropped a photo and you'll see that and i'll put it also in the yeah in the video for the for the show when i eventually do that but um in uh, 1926 w this is just straight from wikipedia wjaz in chicago changed its frequency to one previously reserved for canadian stations without getting permission to make the change and was charged by the federal government with quote wave piracy the resulting legal battle found that the Radio Act of 1912 did not allow the U.S. government to require stations to operate on specific frequencies, and the result was the passage of the Radio Act of 1927 to strengthen the government's regulatory authority. And you can see there is a um, there's a photograph. Okay, so the origin is more like in terms of hijacking. Exactly, exactly. Like you're hijacking frequencies that we don't want you, we, we haven't given you permission to use. Um, you have boarded and captured this frequency. <laughs> right. And you can see in the in the photograph, uh, there's a WJAZ uh, personnel drap dressed up quite uh, outlandishly as, as pirates. It's, it's a very funny photograph. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll put that, I'll put a link to that and everything, but you can, you can see. So yeah, it's, I guess you're hijacking frequency that you're not, that you're, that you're not allowed to be using or something. And that's, I guess, the, ori the origins of it. Um, which makes sense. I, I guess I can kind of see that. Uh, and then I guess the same kind of like, I mean, it's not about using frequency. I guess it's just about the, the, the violating copyright part of it. Um, my, my first experience with, with, uh, what you could call piracy was, was also with, with Napster. Although I was, I was one of these, um, you know, precocious teenagers, uh, who was, uh, or, or, you know, whatever, uh, ish age that, uh, was, was using it to download the MP3s. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting, I think, because, um, like Napster and I don't know, you almost want to talk about, like, I mean, it's, it's just such a, there's so much going on there. Um, I pulled up an article from, 
from 1997 on CNET. The headline is 56 kbps modems struggling. U.S. Robotics and Hayes Communications hope standards to be set next month on 56 kbps modems will accelerate purchases. Quote, Currently, most users employ 28.8 kbps modems. The new 56.6 kbps modems run about twice as fast. But users have been reluctant to buy 56k modems uh, for like like weird technical reasons. It doesn't matter. The the interesting thing about that. Okay, so so first of all, this is kilobits per, per second. Uh, 56.6 kilobits per second works out to about 0.007 megabytes per second, which is to say that it would take you about two and a half minutes on this blazing fast, cutting edge 1997 technology. Two and a half minutes to download one megabyte. Um, uh, CDs, uncompressed audio, uh, like on, on like a, if you have a, like a standard, you know, uh, the like a, C, like a music CD that that's as you know running all the way of the, that it, of the, all the, the the entire length that it can accommodate. Um, it essentially runs on a, on, a, on a format that's analogous to WAV files, uncompressed w, .wav files, uh, which are in the neighborhood of about 700 megabytes, give or take. So, um, in the early days of the internet or the commercial internet, I wouldn't quite say this is the early days. This is the early days of the consumer internet. Um, if you're talking about, uh, like, let's say you have, um, you know, a CD right? Just an audio CD by Metallica, for example, for who plays a part in this story too, right? Um, like, first of all, not everyone necessarily has a CD drive. Um, floppies are still, um, you know, they're starting to lose ground, but they're, but they're still pretty dominant overall. Uh, uh, and even if you wanted to get from you know, your data, it, it's just like, who's going to have 700 spare megabytes on their computer that's that's like double the size of of your average hard drive um and then and then there's just absolutely no way you're going to be able to send all that information over the internet it's it's not it's i mean you're talking days um to assuming everything goes right and there's no interruptions or, or anything in your service and this is also in an era where people are, are often paying by the minute for um dial-up internet service so uh it, it's just it's essentially an intractable problem um and and it's not in the cd well it's a problem if you're paying for your internet that too college yes. student <laughs> well okay yes and and of <laughs> course and college students also typically would have had t1 lines um rather than dial up anyway which is you know essentially the early, early broadband uh consumer broadband so uh yeah and this obviously for kind of obvious reasons um also socially you know people college students and kids of that age like to share music i did as well i mean even not like illegally just you know oh i'm listening to this band you know check it out whatever um but but napster solved several problems at once um and, and in conjunction with mp3 technology which was which was new at the time which which you, you took a a file you took a, a song track which you know uncompressed Yes, of course, it would have sounded better, even with, you know, accounting for digital versus, I'm not going to get into, like, vinyl and shit, but, but like, well, assuming, you know, uncompressed digital audio, um, you're, you're going from upwards of 100 megabytes uh, for a file, which is a big going to be a big chunk of your hard drive in 1990, 1999, or even, even, by, even as of 1999 when Napster launched, to just a couple megabytes. And no, it doesn't sound as good, but nobody really cares. Um, and, and on your shitty, you know, uh, earbuds 
you're, you can't even really tell the difference. Anyway, on um, your aux, on your ghetto blaster hooked up through an aux cord to a laptop. In, exactly. <laughs> so, so you you have the ability to send and receive files, not quite instantaneously, but um, very very fast. Compare and 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 you're you're sharing like you know albums where it would have basically been an, you know, CD burners were were didn't come along until later. They were very very expensive didn't always work uh, i have a, I, I remember and, and not only the cd burning but the cd so ripping is, i want yeah. to bring up my parents being very hip so my parents got into the burning of themselves later on like mid to late 2000s but they had a go to and they would give him the blanks yeah and he was like the burn the well, because it wasn't just, I mean, like, again, this this technology, I mean, nowadays, well, first of all, optical technology is essentially obsolete these days for the most part. But uh, meaning, you know, CDs, DVDs, even Blu-rays, really. Uh, nobody, nobody, like, I have, I neither of the last two computers that I've built in my desktops have, have had optical drives. Um, so... Uh, yeah, but, 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 but when optical drives were like the next big thing and they had essentially fit, you know, more or less, even by the time that they had replaced, um, uh, floppy drives, uh, of various format sizes, the, like the technology itself didn't always work very well. Um, even if you had like decent equipment, it, it, it's, it, you, you needed really like, essentially you still needed professional equipment for it to work properly. And, and the consumer grade stuff just wasn't very good. I remember even um, when uh, I was I was like, I got the uh, the Star Wars soundtrack at one point, and I was very excited to rip it from the CD where I had purchased it on onto my computer. And I used various um, programs; they weren't apps then to to do so. And basically none of, basically none of them worked. Um, it was like the audio was all weird, had weird artifacts and, and was, you know, like weird Doppler shit going on. And because, you know, I just can't maintain, couldn't maintain a, um, consistent, I guess, uh, uh, signal from the, yeah. the well, spinning plate. Well, Please. also the, oh, was you saying you were trying to burn it or you're trying no, I was trying to rip it. And then, but burning would, would okay, fail. Yeah. Burning would fail two out of three times too. And even if it like, even if the thing said like, oh, this succeeded, like half the time, oh, the data yeah. data wouldn't work. Even if you, even if the program said, "Oh, we did it, we completed successfully," it's like you put it in, doesn't work. So my burning once again, hip hip dad, we got into like old Netflix stuff with the CDs, and it's also at the same time where my dad had got it was affordable enough to get your own CD burner, and there were so obviously the, the move is very simple, right? You get the Netflix CD and then you burn a copy of it for yourself and send it back, right? Well, unfortunately, optical drive technology was such that there they actually had built into the disc like anti-burning measures that were very effective uh, at least enough of the time where they, we had to go home DVD album and if it was like a rip, it was like, oh, well, it's like 70, 70% chance this movie halfway through cut all artifacty and cra crappy and I always thought, oh, we just we just have issues burning but there was legitimate uh, like anti-burn stuff. Well, it could also just be I know dual layer. There, I I don't remember. I I I kind of gave up on on that type of piracy uh, because it just didn't. It wasn't very effective, and it, and I didn't really care that much either. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, yeah, the... you realize that when you get a, once you get a bunch of like, oh, I have all the Pixar movies, and you never watch any of the Pixar movies. Right. <laughs> I wanted to get into that phenomenon in a sec. Yes, in terms of like the cultural side of it, but um, it, it was also like they had like what was it DVD plus R and DVD minus R and then plus minus and dual layer and dual layers never worked. And I had a, I had a whole thing because I had an early generation um, Intel MacBook that in theory could burn DVDs if I recall correctly. Or maybe it was, I don't remember if it was an extra, I think it had an internal DVD-R drive, but it couldn't do dual layer. And it wasn't even that the drive itself couldn't do it. It was like a RAM limitation or something. Um, like like uh, burning DVDs over a certain size would always fail. So, so it was just because it didn't have enough RAM to handle all the operations simultaneously or something. So um, yeah, so so the the limitations on on all that like the the i think the key, one of the key points here or the, the the thing that i'm like to circle back for a second to Napster um which was really revolutionary uh in in just a whole lot of ways um is was was that like all of a sudden it was feasible because it, we weren't dealing with like the layer essentially of technology you, you were dealing with was simply about the peer to peer aspect of sending and receiving data it you know assuming that the file that you had was legit which was this whole other thing and there was a i think it was marquita posad on twitter or somebody recently had a thing about like reminiscing about you know um metallica dark uh, black album jenna jameson civilization 2.exe you know sharing on on napster which was you know the 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 viruses those days were, were quite hilarious and and you know yes you people would on a, you know, people were naive enough, uh, not infrequently, to download you know sixty four kilobyte files, um, purporting to be you know, whatever, and it was, they would just run executables. Well, my favorite one is like pornography xex, right? E-X-E. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. So um, there was, you know, it was it was the wild. I mean, this this another part of it, I guess, is is in to some extent it was it was you know these were the days of the wild when the internet was the wild west. There was no obviously any Facebook or or MySpace or any of these kind of centralized things. It was it was really the, the wild west in, in all sorts of yeah. ways. And there's and, another yeah. thing that's not brought up in Napster, the Napster thing a lot is that a lot of Napster's success, not success, but like cultural impact. Because it kind of actually, I think it was right after, but people had all these MP3s and really nothing to do with You could play them on your right. computer, obviously. But as soon as Napster collapsed, or damn near near it, the first iPod came out. Yes. And it supported all your stolen music. So people would have, they had done all these massive libraries on their, on their college internet, and now they had a product that could carry them all around. And if you look at like early iPod commentary, like wow this fits like all the songs in the world and if you think about it now it doesn't make much sense because you gotta buy the individual songs it's like 99 cents per song if you're buying 100 songs 100 dollars right but people weren't they had downloaded all the songs in the world over the last two years <laughs> right well <laughs> yes and well there was also like a um i sort of uh that was the slogan that was often in kind of like internet libertarian ish spheres was information wants to be free there was a kind of a there was a some of the I wouldn't even quite call it ideological. I mean, some, maybe for some people it was. It, it was also it was also just people wanted shit for free, um, which is fine. But um, the like the, the one of the parts of context for this as well is there was a um, like it, there was an active 
conversation uh, that I, I believe really took off um, and, and started in newsrooms um, because like newspapers, obviously, you know, that's one of the oldest types of subscription services. Um, and it was fairly ubiquitous. Uh, pretty much every even small town would have a small town newspaper and pretty much everyone in the small town would either subscribe or, or purchase it on a regular basis. Uh, of course, newspapers didn't really make their money from subscriptions. They made it from selling classified ads. Uh, and so there was a, a lot of discussion in the mid to late 90s over, okay, what are we going to do with, um, like, like even like the New York Times was basically didn't have anything remotely resembling a paywall until until way late. Uh, and, and that was true for most even like physical newspapers that would have yeah. charged and you. And briefly, the, the New York Times paywall is purely to pretend like the goyim from reading it at a certain point. The yeah. New York Times does not need the money. Like, the New York Times is literally a holding company. Like Harvard, it's a effectively a front company for a large, right? You know, financial financial firm. So just just a little quick aside: the New York Times paywall is so you can't read it. Yeah, much like Harvard tuition is so, you know, because we're going to give the scholarship to Laquisha, we're not going to give it to you, right? Um, same same kind of principle. But, uh, yeah, so so uh, the so the, there was this whole question over, like, are people going to... Because the thing was, like, in the, from the early, early days, from the actual early days of the internet... Um, pretty much everything was was free, and there was a very there was I, I mean I I, I sort of said it tongue in cheek earlier, but but there was a there was a relatively seriously ideological libertarian streak to the early internet. Um, in well, a sense, that's what po- I would say. That's what podcasts come. Oh yeah, uh, doing free content for you. Right, everybody did. I mean, there, there was there was and like called podcasts because of once the iPod because of the iPod it was like a like a radio show that you would put on your iPod and and then it became like a podcast like a radio broadcast for your iPod right that you would download instead of just listening to live um yeah and and the and so like it was it was a problem the I like there were real debates I remember reading them in that period of uh of like people essentially debating like like newsrooms saying like well you know people are so used to not paying for anything everybody thinks the internet is just like free there's, there's no, and you still, you still see this. You see this with like blogs. You see this with like, you know, people trying to monetize it. Now there's like an, uh, there's a growing understanding, on, and and it's not so much about like I'm a company. I'm gonna charge you for a service, although that has also increased. It's more like, um, like with you know, with with us and and our audience, we're grateful for all our, all our subscribers. You know, we provide it for free. We appreciate it greatly when someone tosses us some shekels, um, you know, it, it, as a sign of support, uh, more than like, oh, you're not gonna get this unless you pay. Um, which can also work, and it works better these days. And in the '90s, like absolutely nobody, there was just no way. Um, and that was part of the thing was like, you know, record companies, and music publishers, were in a were in a situation where like there wasn't even really the, there, there was nothing like streaming technology really. I mean, that you had early, early, early streaming on like real player and shit, but but that that didn't work half the time either. Yeah. And have you speak? Yeah, this kind of goes in your point. Have you seen that? Like, it's like from like the 1992. It's this video news station and they're uh they're interviewing this very even by this like at the time old man so probably probably like a silent probably like a great generation guy and they're like well every he has he has his like computer and it says every day whatever mr johnny wilkins or whatever uh pays for 
Uh, he pays a dollar and twenty-five cents to download a download the entire local paper from the local paper's website and print it out on his uh, printer. <laughs> his bubble jet that takes like two hours to oh, do the job. I'm sure. I'm sure this was like. It was, I'm sure it was. He spent a lot of money. Maybe it was a dot matrix. Up. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. And I was like, and like, I think that I think because like journalists are aren't very smart or they or that, that well they get like an impression of a thing and i think the assumption was like oh this is too costly to like stealing the newspaper is too, or the articles is, is like a costly affair you're paying for internet you're paying for that thing and that sentiment lasted probably longer than it should have and they've contributed to how gutted newspapers got because i think they thought oh this can't compete it's like it's like a, it was a novelty like in, Right, late, very late '90s. Yeah, it was no, but, utter well, This was the, also like kind of the so. So this is when I was also uh, uh, sort of coming online politically and and thinking, you know, starting to like form opinions about stuff. And I distinctly remember, and he'll like to me. I don't know. This is I don't want to go too far down this road, but but on this on this general point, and and really speaking to the role of the internet, generally, like I would actually I would read the New York Times uh, online for free. I would read Paul Krugman, and. I like I was very my my earliest experience of being misled by by uh, what do we call it the uh, Hollywood type people was uh was was when Paul Krugman like he had a long series into the late 90s and even to early 2000s basically being like the internet's not going to change anything it's all just going to be the same kind of industrial thing that we've already seen it may make certain things but it's not actually going to fundamentally change anything because this is how econo- economies work blah 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 it was so completely ass backwards that i like it 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 put me just in a like I, it took me years to kind of really like thoroughly um expunge the influence of, of his way of thinking on that, Which but but it, that was how people is, that was how so Paul, credentialed people thought. Sorry, go on. Well, real quick, on just on Paul Krugman broadly, has he ever been right about any like thing? S- supposedly, ever. his Nobel winning work on something about like lo- that was part. It was partially related, like because it had to do with like I guess when you have industrial centers where like the in, like the factories or whatever like are all in a small physical locus that you get certain kinds of economic effects that you wouldn't necessarily expect it's sort of like a microeconomic impact on micro blah 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 i don't believe in that might not even be right i don't know i tr- I, I, I i'm, I'm willing to believe that you, that thing is great but like past that obviously I'm not, not if you're <laughs> a economics phd student i would just gun for him because you know he's fucking or he's gonna he's a retard. yeah that's a good point. I, just, I, I bet you, I bet you, like, there's not a fatter, slower target. Right? <laughs> be like, Paul Krugman's Nobel winning work is wrong. It's fucking wrong, and I could prove it. That would be awesome. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, other than that, like, with an asterisk, no, obviously, he's been wrong about absolutely everything. And um, not that it really matters, but, but, uh, but yeah, that was the conversation that was being, was being had in, in these kinds of spaces. And, um, there was just like people didn't think the internet was gonna like people didn't take the internet seriously. It's not even just like part of the reason why it was the Wild West was people just didn't even take Wait, it seriously. Wait, I just want to give it very quickly. Was it was wasn't Krugman like just being like dunking on the Soviet Union in the nineties? Like that was smart. Yeah, which right, Wait, sure. And we all and we all consider that smart. Oh yeah, well this country that collapsed at a bad. Jesus Christ! <laughs> how did that man, let that man get famous? I mean, I, I know how he got famous, but like, right. how, but wow. yeah, there's an injury that that's, did, did nothing. <laughs> yeah. The fall of the Soviet Union in 
Oh man, yeah, no, I don't any of those. And like Maureen Dowd has been making the same joke for forty years. Like, who the fuck? Cares? I don't know any of these people. It's just, it's just ridiculous. But, but anyway, um, uh, yeah. So, so like that all changed, obviously. Like, and and Napster was the start of that change, and that was, and and that was the, like, and, <sighs> I'm trying to think of it, or, or try to think of how to put it. Like, the the idea, I, I think, in in some ways. It's not just that Napster itself or, or like, because it, it wasn't even just about at a certain level, um, like Napster was, was geared towards MP3s. And I, I don't know that, I don't think it had much capacity for um, sharing files other than MP3s, or that was like the thing that was built in. But very quickly, especially with like Napster clones, I was seeing on the uh, um, Wikipedia page, a bunch, including LimeWire and eDonkey2000, which I remember that's, uh, that was one of the later ones. That, and and especially with those uh, sort of Napster clones, um, they were giving you the same functionality but not limiting it to MP3. Like essentially, it was it was a an early version of BitTorrent. I don't think it used like torrents themselves or work different technologically, but the idea is pretty much the same um, in terms of peer to peer file hosting, and everybody has little pieces of the file and 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 uh, and and shares them with each other. Uh, and and this was like a different model for the distributed internet. Um, this was this was a uh, and and I, I guess it's sort of like there's a bit of not just nostalgia but but I don't know wistfulness maybe on my end in terms of like you can see uh, as with many pre nine eleven phenomena the like the alternate path, right? The internet that could have been the, the you know, even if you get people to pay for stuff. And I think there was always an argument. And I think it's definitely true um, that like, if you give people a reasonable way to, if you make buying data, the, you know, software or, or, you know, music or whatever, if you make it seamless, painless and, and, and cost like, or have it at a reasonable cost, people are going to buy it. Um, a lot of times piracy quote unquote is for stuff that's either rare or just completely out of print, uh, basically inaccessible or for stuff that there's really like, you know, it, it, it's offering a superior of, service. Uh, things that are hard to access for it, the longest time. The only thing I was really ever seeding myself, we get into the seeding versus all that stuff. Yeah. Hosting, was, uh, Dr. Duke's book. Yeah, right. Yes. Exactly. And, and that was, yeah, that's the thing about the, distributed internet is there's it's 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 extremely censorship resistant right there's there's really like i mean there's things you can do with like ports and blocking specific functionalities and and different companies have tried and different things you know but and of course it's it's it can be just about impossible to um to use these sorts of uh peer-to-peer services on on corporate or university networks um but at a kind of broad level, and even with all those restrictions, there's always, there's always, there's always been a way. There'll always be ways around, you know, your your corporation or your, not. Not that I would ever recommend such a thing, but you can always get around those kinds of um, things. And enterprising individuals uh, such <laughs> uh, would would always would always find ways to, you know, oh, your your um, your university network doesn't allow BitTorrent. Well, you know, actually. Uh, turns well, what out they about do. BitTorrent.ru? Right, exactly. There's all kind, of, exactly. There's always a million different things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, 
And yeah, and and and, it, and it's extremely censorship resistant. To this day, it remains censorship resistant. That's the, that's the kind of I guess this is kind of getting into. Maybe we can transition a little a little from here. Maybe we should. Well, I guess we can get just finish up Napster. So in essentially, uh, Napster came out. It was the biggest. It was a very big deal, and then, but it wasn't huge. Then it then the lawsuit came very public, and then it actually had hit its true peak of like influence and popularity because it was it was the, the biggest story that hey. Um, Music is free and 9/11, and those things happen at the same time. And those were the two biggest stories because in it was like the end of history. And then there was like it was like the only thing you could really focus on was uh, music. So that and, and that drove I think what is it millions and millions of people started downloading this thing, and then but, but unfortunately because of the court case being what made it big. When you lose, you <laughs> lost, and you know you lost, and then they, and they tried to settle, uh, because they, I do you actually know what their mechanism for making money? Was a deep cash reserves at the time, they weren't like fighting it with startup money. Or, 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 I don't. Do you, yeah, I don't they, think I don't. I, and it was never clear to me what, how they thought they were going to maybe maybe selling ad space on the actual program. I have no idea. But, but they, maybe, maybe I guess it was they had like cons, venture capitalist tech thing. But they had like, so they, they, they paid a settlement and they also had developed some kind of early screening technology that they said was 99.5% effective. And of course the court, because it, because the courts were going for the kill. Um, because unlike BitTorrent, uh, I believe Napster was run by Gentiles, correct? I believe so. Uh, Sean Fanning and Sean Parker were the two co-founders. Yeah. So, yeah. so the Anglos couldn't be allowed to do this. Uh, honestly, Bit and BitTorrents really stayed out of the uh, out of court somehow. Well, I guess nothing to do with the, the guy's name being Cohen. But <laughs> well, they. Oh, I didn't. Wait, 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 wait. wait uh, BitTorrent was founded by a uh, Hollywood type person. Yeah, some kind of uh, ethnic Hollywoodist. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, I just assumed because, like, by that point. Well, first of all, it's not clear, like, like the, the the legal argument in 2000 was that, like, essentially Napster was responsible for vicarious infringement on the part of its users, which, yeah. like... Well, I, they actually also, they gained, in the court case, they were basically, uh, they gained the concession that there was legitimate non-piracy use of their software that was, right. in fact, important, like file sharing which was also like the first major sharer of files which is a massively important technology well, that's what i was getting at yeah exactly you, you you can't once something is like hosted on these like you you know like dr duke's book or you know uh, uh the greatest story never told or one third of the holocaust or these kinds of things like it's, it's very important i think for, for, or Treblinka, a dumb dumb story people. yeah like people need to host this stuff people need to seed this stuff because because then you know it's it's uh accessible it remains available and there's really no way like you you know you could envision a situation where uh the like somebody shut you know ddos or whoever antifa shuts down kodo they're they're like there's just no similar capability for for removing these kind of services i think oh that's where i was going with this is is you can see like another an alternate alternate you know world that could have existed on a on a you know distributed free open internet uh much more so than than 
we have today and, and you know, September 11th, of course, and in combination with all these other things. But but I think, you know, I, I'm sure the Patriot Act and all these kinds of, you know, a lot there's a lot of digital aspects to that. And I'm well, I'm sure that filtered into it also, as well. I want to put it that the success outside of BitTorrent, which had the top cover of being run by a, a movie maker, <laughs> was all the other successors, LimeWire, Kazaa, all those, they didn't have like a, they basically didn't exist. Like you couldn't tell me who the founder of Lime, I couldn't tell you the founder of LimeWire was or if he made any money and he probably, like, or like they effectively didn't have a thing to sue. I mean, you could like, Right, right, exactly. Well, who are you going to do? I mean, well, first of all, like BitTorrent. So BitTorrent is a protocol. It's also there's a program called BitTorrent that you can download. But and I I believe it's somehow related, like at a kind of institutional level. But like the, the, the protocol is essentially just an algorithm that any program can use and then the programs themselves that that tend to use the you know whatever your client is qubit torrent or mutorrent azure back in the day um or or whatever mutorrent is probably the best of them by the way if we're gonna if we're giving recommendations i big endorse for mutorrent mutorrent mutorrent's okay i think qubit torrent i find a little lighter like on the it doesn't annoy me as much with advertisements and similar it it has a little lighter footprint in my experience Uh, i also like deluge but they haven't had a update for windows and forever anyway um the uh the the like the protocol is essentially just a like a math algorithm that anyone can use and and the, the programs themselves tend to just be like free open source software that anyone can compile again it's basically just algorithms you know, logic and the structure. It's the kind of thing where I mean, maybe this, uh, maybe this is too deep of a cut for you, maybe not. But um, are you familiar with the with the seven lines? Uh, it sounds familiar. Just the seven line. There were seven lines that broke DVD encryption. Um, it was it was like uh, it was a a um, uh, seven lines of Perl code. Well, I'm looking here. I didn't realize. This is, now you look back on things and you sort of notice it was uh, Keith Weinstein and Mark Horowitz uh, were the names of the people who who made this program. But it was it was just seven lines that uh, uh, and Weinstein was a 19 year old MIT sophomore computer major at the time, was a computer science major, uh, one of my heroes, I guess you could say, growing up. Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, this was a kid who basically just, you know, an MIT student who broke DVD encryption with a seven-line Perl script, and then the the the, the legal system tried to come down on him um, with a hammer and and basically make the dissemination of these seven lines of code illegal, uh, and initially succeeded in 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 that. And the um, like the Bush administration, I think the the Federal Department of Justice got involved in the um, in the in the legal suit, and like the the response from this corner of the internet was to do things like put the seven lines on coffee mugs and T-shirts and just sort of like the uh, and, back and well, most importantly, put them involuntarily on office printers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that were not <laughs> exactly, and and just demonstrating the absurdity of of I mean this, this is sort of like. You know, I was I was kind of making fun of it earlier, and there is a, sen- a sense in which it's it's obviously kind of absurd and self-serving. Like information, it's not, I wouldn't quite say that information wants to be free, but there are certain kinds of censorship that are completely pointless and counterproductive and never going to work. 
and and trying to prevent people from cracking DVDs with seven lines of code that you can just write on a napkin is is basically just like you know the the paradigmatic example of of like this just never going to work. It's just it just shows you how retarded. And that's I guess another one of the kind of pieces of this is is it shows you how retarded. If you weren't if you weren't in this area zone, if you if you weren't someone who was tech savvy, internet savvy at the time. Like you were either one of those people or you weren't, and the people who weren't were just retarded. They had absolutely like Paul Paul Krugman, but he wasn't alone. They didn't have the slightest clue as to what kinds of things could work, what kinds of things couldn't work, how any of it worked, why any of it worked. Um, it, it was it was all very, and not that they have such a better idea these days either, but at least you know like there's a baseline level of people understand like what a router is like you don't have to be some kind of nerd to understand like okay well there's this you know there's this magic tube that connects to my house and i need this magic box to do things with it so that it can be usable by my computer in certain what's ways what's that old line the internet is a system of tubes yeah exactly and and but i mean even that kind of basic <laughs> level people just had no idea just absolutely no no clue um and and yeah napster was i think one of whoops. Napster was and and yeah, Napster was one of the uh, the earliest. Um, like, I, I would almost say, and there was a kind of social dimension to it as well. In some ways, not entirely unlike MySpace, um, in that it was it was something that like made abstruse technology, which the internet still, even just in general, still was at that point accessible to people in in a way that they could uh, use for themselves and and actually had some utility. Um, which maybe gets us we can start discussing a little the um uh this phenomenon of of uh just massly massive piracy just downloading so much shit downloading all the shit and then never using it uh which i always i'm i'm i mean i definitely have done that myself i had a at one point a um i don't know if it was downloaded or or various kinds of rips or both or what exactly but um well, no, I guess technically downloading isn't illegal. It's the uploading that's illegal, whatever. Um, but whatever, I, you know, I didn't purchase, but I nonetheless had. Um, that I never touched. I never opened. Many cases, most cases, even never installed. Um, it's a really weird thing. I, I don't quite, I guess, you know, I don't know. You you, you mentioned this. Did, did you have this? Did you have this reaction as well? Was this Was this something that... You noticed? Uh, yeah, no, for for sure. This, like I said, my dad burned all of the Netflix movies we ever got, and I never really we would watch it on the factory CD or DVD, and then we'd burn it. I would like never touch it again unless we we're like on a road trip, and then you know whatever you know like the, the there's this, and of course I think I think Netflix modern Netflix has kind of become the kind of a example uh, of this too is that you, you, there's like a effect of being spoiled for choice and and just not wanting to engage with the product uh, if you have too many options which is why uh, I think the like it's, it's, it's what's it's, it's I would say a common like, element of the human condition like I think obviously the most you also see something like, like poetry where modern poetry is essentially just unusable for anything worthwhile at all because there's it's so far gone from traditional forms that 
something like Robert Frost and tweeted or he's probably the most, the most in my opinion well revered modern poet he stuck very doggedly to like very traditional forms of poetry and therefore his stuff is good and whereas other modern poetry is trying to do they can do whatever you want there's no limitations of tradition or convention and therefore it's terrible um, and really useless and that's probably the earliest example of this phenomenon but basically once once when, when people don't have any kind of authoritarian structure you essentially can't make anything good um, I, I, there's very few counterexamples to this and even those counterexamples are generally works of individual brilliance that really can't be replicated in this kind of like ooh free association way even like a some kind of like a forum where they're making a cool thing which which assumes we see like oh this forum is science piece of software it's gonna be this very libertarian libertarian wet dream there's usually like a top-down authoritarian guy running the whole like a nazi mod who's keeping the line and, and you really can't maybe like uh because like freedom doesn't create like absolute freedom it doesn't create creativity. <laughs> the it, two genders are the 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 tranny Jenny and the Nazi mod. Sorry, <laughs> go on. Yeah, um, no one likes Sylvia Plath. Everyone likes Art Frost, Frost, because limitations of form are good, um, and I think limitations are effectively. I mean, limitations, limitations are ultimately probably one of the key elements of art, which I think also is a reason why video games have been are uh, effectively have remained as like an architect medium pretty good and there's a lot of innovation and it's because the structures for making a large video game are very authoritarian you need a a company that is authoritarian and also the like the the marketplace is authoritarian that people just won't buy your trash right if you're making like like you're walking to your walking simulator about feminism is going to get a lot of press but no one's going to like pay the money on steam to actually play it or even pirate it right so i think uh <laughs> That's why, I think, like, it's kind of a sad reality of, like, there's not going to be, like, artistic ideal, comedy utopia where everyone can just make art forever because they don't have to work anymore because all their art's going to suck because there's not going to be any kind of convention forcing them to be, actually be good at their jobs. I totally agree, uh, but I'm... So, but can we... So, to bring it back, though, to... Um, so, are you saying that, like... It's the same impulse that creates this choice on the creative end of it. You're also in the same Gotcha, way. gotcha. On the consumption end of it. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I had, that's an interesting way to think about it. Whereas if you only have, say, like 20 right. bucks and you got to squeeze the amount of max amount right. of fun out of that 20 bucks, you're going to buy a game, maybe not even enjoy the first couple hours, but you're gonna get, then you'll get good at it, right? Right. And you'll, because you have to play it because it's like $20 you have, right? Well, I, I definitely noticed like game same. exactly games that if I only had twenty bucks and I just, you know and I bought a video game like I would play like I would like, install but typically it was because I really really wanted you know I read good reviews or I really liked the studio or whatever and and um, and so I would be you know very highly motivated to to consume that product versus yeah Which, I mean and the reason this also is that I forgot my final point my final it ties up together is that like consumption requires a level of creativity it's not purely a passive yeah, thing yeah except for at like the most even even like well even at the most base level like consumption is, is a it's, it requires a level of intelligence and creativity or you or you just wouldn't do it right 
Well, yeah, if, if nothing else, discernment, right? Like there's a there's a kind of, you know, e- even if the kind of general thing is like, I'm just going to consume everything, like even th- that you end up having to make certain kinds of choices, right? There's a, there's a question of like, I'm going to consume this as opposed to that or going to do it in this order or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and when in particular, it's just sort of you have this smorgasbord of whatever and, and the, the marginal cost of, um, of acquisition is negligible to non-existent, you know, maybe you have to pay for like a blank CD to burn something on, if that, uh, or or data or who knows what. But but yeah, it's just basically you're not you're not it's it's quote unquote free to you. Um, then uh, then yeah, it's 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 just sort of like you end up. What is that called? The paradox of choice, or like there's this phenomenon where you know when you go into the grocery store and there's just a million different things, um, especially if you you know people come from third world countries or other kinds of environments where there isn't that much choice it's like you know like in the soviet union there was one vodka and it was called vodka and you bought you bought vodka vodka brand vodka right uh uh you know obviously this this would people people think that more choices make them happy or this is sort of how our society is set up to um like that's kind of at the heart of our version of neoliberalism that we're currently suffering under is is this like kind of an idea and it's obviously completely wrong and and there, I mean, not that you know, I don't, I'm not a study truster, but uh, there are studies that show that basically the more choices people have, the more unhappy there are because they always you get the grass is greener effect. You always have this sense this of like is, uh, this. This yeah. always reminds me of the the uh, I, mean, I think it was the early 2010s. McDonald's suffered their first like sales slump in history. They had always been a effectively a growing company. I think they still have corrected. They're back on it, and they did like a big. Uh, like a massive investigation because they had this money and like well, why why are sales slumping why are we contracting this is you know what what's gone wrong over the last 50 years that changed in the last 10 and what they discovered is they had been trying on the basis of like this kind of oh capitalism is when you have 12 kinds of Lay's chips they had delivered like salads and all this other weird and other all kinds of consumer choice the uh, apple pie and, and they really and they they realized they were offering too many different products across their lines all the time and people don't actually want that people want the one product that and then and, and it makes them happier because they buy the one product and that's why McDonald's changed to this weirdo it doesn't make, doesn't make much sense where you have this base menu and every like eight months they'll have like a weird one thing like a McRib or something because actually that that that's what people desire is they don't actually like a constant options they like a brief like change a brief twist but then things are normal they like they like they like novelty more than they like options if that makes sense absolutely and i remember that when it happened that uh yeah mcdonald's basically made more money and got more sales by cutting items out of their menu um which is counterintuitive unless if you're a libtard basically or, or you know you don't kind of have an understanding of this aspect of human psychology um yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting phenomenon, and and I th- I think. Well, but speaking yeah. of all this, we're kind of leading. I think we're kind of dancing around it. Do you want to go into like like I, I wouldn't call it the the the, to- the fall or the decline, but the it piracy became in the late two thousands or late two thousand two thousand, so it's not fourth twenty tens, and into the early twenty tens, it was, became kind of a, a the scales kind of moved against it, and I think part a lot of that was in the big well the big thing with that was. 
that uh, games got effectively cheap and easy to find through Steam, and then the price of movies crashed and DVDs and Blu-rays just went through into the toilet, right? Yeah. So, it be, so people decided once it became easy to access, it became far more the effort of spending five dollars or fifteen dollars at Best Buy for Family Guy season one through six, as opposed to like downloading every episode of Family Guy season one through six over a, you know a twelve-hour period uh, or more. So people decided to make this moral stand now that it was easier to not effectively pirate because you were spending less time by just buying it on Steam or buying it on that. Piracy became a bit, uh, a bit, I guess, gauche. It was a thing. People would, uh, if you, like, there was a, I guess, in this, like, window, you would say, oh, I pirated that game. People, people tell you. It's not, how are the, you know, get new games if they make money? And uh, there was kind of an, uh, not a crisis, but uh, I think there was a very much a decline. Piracy never went, went away, and it never will go away. There was definitely a, but it became uh, socially out of favor because there are options to consume it. Uh, consume product easily uh, especially I think Steam played a big part in this for games that Steam lowered the price because games had, you know games effectively didn't really have price drops in stores beyond at, at max they occasionally you there was like a bargain bin similar to like you know music yeah, CDs but yeah, yeah other than that CDs no definitely had it. but you, I would you would rarely see a game below $30 before Steam um, I mean unless it was like trash like uh, I, I remember paying, I mean, and, and that was in like, like 1990s money, you know, 60, 70 bucks for a Super Nintendo game. Uh, so yeah, I mean, granted, that's almost a different thing entirely, but it's still like, like $60. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, the game, and, and you'll hear industry sources talk about this sometimes too, that how basically everybody's still used to $60. I saw very recently, like it was for a little while has been a thing where like, you know, day one DLC complete editions will be seventy dollars, but the regular title will still be sixty. Um, now with new release PS5 games, there were a couple that were seventy dollars, but sixty dollars has been standard for new release for twenty-ish years at least at this point. Maybe maybe even a little more, depending. Um, even for like just literally, you know, I guess it depends on the title, but yeah, definitely not less than thirty. I mean, typically, more typically, I think thirty dollars would be the expansion. Like I, I'd have to look it up, or I don't even know if you'd find this information. But as I recall, uh, indicatively, StarCraft One launched at sixty dollars, and um, Brood War launched at thirty. Then that's kind of the that was like essentially the the price dynamic. But anyway, yeah, it, it, that, that, until until um, and I think it was also more of a because when Steam first launched, it was just for Half Life Two, and it didn't work very well. But then it improved, and and um, yeah, I think it still wasn't really. Um, it started being the Steam that we think of it today, uh, minus the kind of just overboard of overwhelming amount of content. Now you know nowadays they basically let whatever on, but that wasn't the case. Um, but it was still like relatively cheap relatively uh, and it worked basically well enough um as of about 2010 yeah. or so and also the thing that i think steam contributed to the i guess uh ethical issues with people actually to question it was steam was also i think inherent to platform is like an anti-piracy platform yes drm which is a whole other like side of what they uh, wanted to talk a little at least about drm but yeah steam steam is like an all-in-one solution it's like it's a storefront but it's also a drm a digital rights management mechanism something that in theory prevents you to some extent from from pirating the um the the product 
And uh, also, it, well, and the other thing is that it, it's this, it was so, I think, successful as a, as a form DRM. And that's when DRM was very hard uh, to figure out for a lot of companies because it was, it was pretty easy to get around it, I think, early on. Or there were a lot of people working So, on, like, yeah, like, well, so the earliest DRM was, was essentially, like, it wasn't even conceptualized that way so much. Um, like, for example, think about a Super Nintendo, a Nintendo cartridge, a Super Nintendo cartridge. Um, like, unless you have some ability to read and write those, uh, <laughs> those like, that silicon and get it into your console, which is just, I mean, at that point you're talking absurd expenses that unless, you know, I mean, there's just no way. So it, it, that defeats the whole thing. Um, with floppy disks, it was always essentially easily copyable. And that's why you had the, one of the reasons why you had these giant thick manuals for 80s and early 90s computer games where often the DRM would be like on page, you know, 56 or, you know, 138. Like, what is the 88th word on the page? Um, and uh, that that is, you know, somewhat effective unless you lose the the um, the manual, which <laughs> you can imagine is pretty common. And, and uh, or or this person can access an Internet forum. Well, which, but there was exactly. They yeah, 100 percent can. Exactly. So like that, 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 that Venn diagram is a circle, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then you started seeing um, stuff built into, like you mentioned on the, the, the DVDs. Uh, like I, I don't know. I don't think, I think it might have been, that sounded like it was a dual layer thing, or I don't know exactly. There, I know DVDs had, they had some relatively easy, easily crackable um, uh, encryption, as I, as like I mentioned with the seven, the famous seven lines. Um, another common technique was to make, Essentially, especially once uh, CD burners was were were more um, starting to come into uh, more consumer households, was that they would essentially make the physical disc that you would put in your computer or your console or whatever in such a way that a normal CD burner wouldn't be able to burn it. This was essentially the uh, the strategy of the first generation PlayStation, which which gave rise to something that really separates a certain kind of generation from other generations, where because um, you could still actually like you could still actually play burned PlayStation games. Um, it was 100% readable, 100% usable. The trick was that you had to like because it, it was on essentially the first the first chunk of boot loading information on the disc it was like an unwritable sector or something and and so on a normal if you put in with the uh it would the the playstation would check in this space that's normally inaccessible and your cd burner could never write to um and if it didn't see what it liked what it wanted it would just fail to load um but what you could do was you could start the boot process on your playstation with a with a legitimate disc could even just be a demo disc like it came with free for free with the console and then once it had loaded to a certain point in the boot, in the boot up, you like, and you it had to be a phys, like you could, it wasn't, this was in the early, early days and it wasn't like the, 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 uh, the, like the, the spring loaded ejection. It was like a top loading thing. You had to keep the, the top of the, um, of the system on and you had to like push a button because the, the system would, would know if the top was open or not with like a physical mechanism. So you had to like press down the physical mechanism uh, remove the disc to, keep, to fool the PlayStation into thinking that the disc was still in there, remove the, the legitimate disc, put in the burn disc, close the top again, and then it would proceed once it had booted to load 
the game and it was it was like a, there was a whole kind of art to it and and this, this, so this you was, just explained a pretty high level memory of mine that I in like the fogs of my memory which was not it was similar to this it was people buying like I never understood why original PS1 discs in bulk for cheap like shitty games mm-hmm. because you could wipe them yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly I, I always thought why, why wouldn't you just wipe a, D, a regular CD that makes sense that they, they were looking for that they, they need that they need that boot chunk. sector exactly wow um, that's very interesting yeah, the uh, PlayStation Two and on had much more, and that that was the thing. Uh, at a certain point, then they they started doing more advanced DRM, and until these days, um, at least a lot of it is essentially CPU based. Like it's seeing what's going on in your in your CPU, and this has caused no small amount of hilarity and um, problems. Like we're basically, I think Stardock uh, is one of the software developers that's most notorious for. DRM that not only basically doesn't work and is often like cracked within days or weeks of launch, especially for big titles, but creates performance problems for people who own the title legitimately. Cause like, obviously there's, there's no such thing as a free yeah. cycle. Well, I remember you mentioned legitimately damaging. I remember PS2 discs, like you could damage them in a certain way where it would say, not this is pirate, but it wouldn't give you like a pirate, but it would give you like a failed boot ps2 discs if you damage them in some way i believe i think it was a pirate a similar piracy thing as the ps1 yeah no it was it was at the well for for ps1 basically there was and 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 this is where you get like mod chips which was i never bothered with because that always struck me as just you know at that point it's it's on the effort scale and also obviously just void your warranty and and risk of bricking your machine and all this kind of stuff but you like with the ps1 if you didn't want to go with that route you could you could there was a relatively simple chip that would essentially tell the 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 processor not to look for the boot sector and that was all that was required from the ps2 on up it was more advanced uh circuitry more advanced logic that, that had to be um that was incorporated and yeah it was it, it you know that's the interesting thing about drm is um like i don't i don't necessarily mind it as a as a thing it, it's sort of like you know i pay for games on gog good old games is basically the main steam alternative um sometimes when even when you know certain things are obviously just very easily because they they famously one of their things is they they release titles typically older games without without any DRM. Um, well, speaking of them, well, they're owned by CD Projekt Red. Yes. And when America got dealt this piracy uh, taboo, and there was this media push, and financially kind of not necessarily thinking to do anymore. Europe really never got that same media push. Yeah. And piracy in Europe has always been looked upon as like just a thing. There's no, it's not even a really an issue at all. It's just a, uh, it's just part of the game, right? And I think the uh, obviously that's where the Pirate Bay base being based out of uh, Sweden and good old games for is like it, it's just a level of a uh, kind of ambivalence to the whole thing. And the other reason for that is because. Uh, there was a big push, not push, but in, they noticed in Europe that uh, bands that were big on Napster or BitTorrent would get like legitimate success as a result. Those things were like, I think Radiohead, I think it's probably the biggest example of this, Radiohead was kind of a uh, middling in fame pop thing that went huge on Napster. I was I actually about, Europe, yeah. The, always, always let me read from the, of, exactly. Oh, let me read from the, 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 I was just looking at that 
right before you said Radiohead. Um, quote, along with the accusation that Napster was hurting the sales of the record industry, there were those who felt just the opposite, that file trading on Napster stimulated rather than hurt sales. Some evidence may have come in July 2000 when tracks from English rock band Radiohead's album Kid A found their way to Napster three months before the album's release. I very, I remember this quite vividly. Uh, unlike Madonna, Dr. Dre, or Metallica, Radiohead had never hit the top 20 in the U.S. Furthermore, Kid A was an album without any singles released and received relatively little radio airplay. By the time of the album's release, the album was estimated to have been downloaded for free by millions of people worldwide, and in October 2000, Kid A captured the number one spot on the Billboard 200 sales chart in its debut week. According to Richard Menta of MP3 Newswire, the effect of Napster in this instance was isolated from other elements that could be credited for driving sales, and the album's unexpected success suggested that Napster was a good promotional tool for music. Uh, I think that really goes without saying that, I mean, it's definitely, because that's the, that's the thing is like, okay, is there some non-zero positive integer, like dollar sales, number of sales that are like made by um you know that, that, that the publishers or whoever are are missing out on that is to say are there people is there some non-zero number of people who download and pirate content that they would have bought had they not been able to pirate it and never bought it even after having pirated or during having pirated it um and just enjoyed it consumed it without ever having paying for it even though you know uh, they would have if they hadn't been able to pirate it i'm sure the answer is yes how quantifying that number is basically impossible, but the the more important thing is that the, the they're, they're, it's minuscule, right? Because most people who pirate stuff don't even consume it, and or, or or very little of it. And more importantly, they never would have bought it in the first place. It's not like they're pirating as an alternative to buying. They're pirating as an alternative to not buying. Um, and to the extent that they're pirating as opposed to not buying, it's a sale that was never made that at least may generate, at the very least, may generate some positive word of mouth. And in many cases, including for some stuff that I myself, you know, in, in, in back in the day, um, and this is like a, you would see a common ethos among among pirators is, look, we're offering this on the BitTorrent or whatever, but if you like it, buy it, or at least, you know, throw the throw the developers some shekels, right? Um, very, very common ethos and, and very, very common refrain and, and definitely something I myself have done as well as, you know, oh, I it almost kind of like a, like a, you know, legally nebulous uh, demo almost of like, you know, you, you try this or you, you didn't necessarily think you would like it, but you do and you end up. And, and then there's, of course, there's a whole other side of it as well, which is um, and we can maybe talk about this as well as a little bit, too, is is uh, we talk about something like like online multiplayer in the very, very early days. Um, online multiplayer was basically unrestricted. Uh, then you start your your ID started getting tied to um, CD keys that you would in, in, you would type in when you're installing. So the CD key was a kind of all-in-one shop for the DRM. As far as like, uh, you wouldn't necessarily have anything running on your computer. You wouldn't necessarily be like the, they wouldn't have a separate uh, package that was um, inspecting your CPU cycles. You would have a, a CD key. That would that would tie to your online identity that would allow you to use the online multiplayer services. Especially, this was especially especially the case for for Blizzard games, but there were many many other studios and and publishers that used a similar system. Um, the problem, or one of the big problems with this from a DRM perspective, was that um, essentially it was just algorithm. These keys were algorithmically generated. It was kind of an early version of a hash function. Um, so you could basically, you, it was, especially for the more popular titles that people would be more interested in pirating anyway, um, 
you could just get a CD key generator <laughs> and generate uh, CD keys. And every so often you'd hear about someone who, you know, purchased their brand new copy of whatever and took off the shrimp wrap and looked in the CD key and installed it and got told by the servers that um, the CD key was already in use. And they'd be like, what the hell? Very, very rare, almost impossible. And and I think on those few, ca- I, I, the few occasions that I did see this in forums back in the early days, uh, you know, the companies would be like, yeah, okay, sure. No, no problem. You give us your receipt, give me your receipt and we'll, we'll set you up with a new key. No issue. Um, but, uh, nowadays, um, well, like the first thing was, you know, so there's so many games as a service and so many things that people play, um, like, you know, with the online multiplayer, so integral or just the whole experience, uh, like the idea of pirating, you know, how, okay. You can, I guess if you really, really love call of duty campaigns, I guess you could you could pirate a Call of Duty game, but then you're just never going to be able to play multiplayer and or or even necessarily receive any patches. Um, and and who wants to deal with that? And the other thing I was thinking about this when we were like sort of getting together, you know, and thinking about the show for the, for the on this topic, I was thinking about you know with, especially with free to play, which I don't know if what phase we are in the life cycle of this phenomenon. I imagine it's not going anywhere. There's going to be just a kind of dedicated lane from now on for for free to play type games. Um, I've never played Fortnite. I think I've said that before, but, uh, I'm familiar with the concept. Like, okay, so I have a Fortnite account, right? Like, first of all, it's not clear to me at all, like how you would even be technically feasible to like how, okay. Let's say I want to have a hat. I I guess there's like cosmetics or something that, that are a lot of how they make money is you pay for cosmetics. So like, how would I even get, how would I pirate a hat in in Fortnite, how would I pirate a character in League of Legends? Like, it just doesn't. There's no way technical technologically to to accomplish that, uh, and and also there's really like no reason to. It just doesn't. It doesn't do anything for you. Like if you're that desperate to, like I mean, the game itself is essentially being offered for free. I mean, I guess I don't know. Do you know? Is it, I know you're you're um you've played Genshin Impact. I know that they charge you, or at least it's like a grind versus getting charged to, to unlock characters. Is there, is there any way to, to pirate the Genshin impact characters that you're aware of or, or how does that work? I mean, I've played the thing through like iOS. So it's, you know, I, I couldn't even dream of, you know, right. There you go. I mean, that's exactly like, like it's like a walled garden, a walled garden, a walled garden. You know, it's, it's, like, <laughs> you know, it's not right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, also it's like, yeah, you, like I couldn't. The, the, there's just I. There, there's not even like a motivation to, right? Like. Uh, yeah, that's what I was getting at. Is is is, like, why would you even bother? Like, why is that a? Pro- it's not even. There's not even really a problem there to be addressed, unless it's like, I, I'm so desperate, for like to be able to unlock this character, and I, I'm a kid, and I only ha- I don't have fifteen dollars or something, but like. You could like it be. You could make fifteen dollars fast, and you figure this thing out. Like exactly. Uh, also, the thing. The other thing is that with these thing, uh, these like accounts, you risk your account. Which exactly. Is, like, if you're playing a free to play game for any period of time, it becomes worth like my account value of my Clash of Clans account is worth thirty five dollars. So why would I risk monkeying about for you know? To level up my dragon faster because I can get it bricked and lose all that, you know. Exactly. So they, yeah. 
I mean, also, just I think by tripping always online, DRM is a much easier. Process. Exactly, exactly. Because they, they can just, always yeah. they can be constantly verify you against, you know, registries and servers, and you know, they if they want to, you know, I'm sure they're, I'm sure it's happened, but uh, it's, I don't, I don't see it as a problem. Uh, no, I agree, and, I, and that's why I, I feel like you know, increasingly DRM is sort of, I mean, and, and companies know this. I mean, they, they're, you know, in, in industry. Um, publications they're often talking about like yeah it's 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 a mathematical certainty i was i think i was started making this point earlier and then i got sidetracked and 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 um whatever but I'll, I'll i'll reiterate it now like it's not exactly that information wants to be free but uh people want like people want stuff for free and people want to you know like use their things however they want to use them and the people who are trying to circumvent these systems are more highly motivated, like the, the more highly motivated and more technologically able and more capable than not necessarily any, the, 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 the individual programmers who are responsible for this, but the company as a whole and the strategy they're adopting. Like it, it's, well, also it, it's like, it's imagine it's like one million monkeys typing Shakespeare, but all the monkeys went to MIT. <laughs> right. Like, you're like, like it's the smartest monkeys in the world having Shakespeare. Exactly. So, so the strategy on the company side, on the DRM side, it's definitely like, this is one piece of a strategy that's like, there's a we're a levee, the river's rising, the river's going to break through the levee at some point, inevitably, we're just in the business of protecting enough sales or, or selling the selling the publisher that we're who's purchasing our DRM software. Um, the idea that they're going to earn more, you know, it, the, like we're going to protect sales for a period of what, you know, three months, six months, whatever the window is. And games have, are notorious for having a very short, um, like profitability window for the most part. Uh, you know, they make all their profits in the first couple of weeks that they're released. And then, you know, and uh, which is one of the reasons why there's been more of a shift towards games as a service and free to play and trying to get people to repeatedly throw in, you know, four bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks over a longer period of time um, to kind of mix success. But, but the, you know, so I, the, the point being though, I think that like really as things stand now, the only real case for, for DRM is for like big budget uh, single player titles, which there just aren't even that many being made anyway. Right, like so, it, it's just sort of, uh, like, who cares? I mean, it, it's it's, I don't know. I, I can't get too worked up. I never could get that worked up. I mean, I, people want to protect their their money, and that's fine, but um, but when it comes well, to that specifically, it's like nowadays, it's just kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Well, all of this early, it, I got an early Steam, but when Steam first opened up the floodgates to uh, like, not basically. You know, did not really, they didn't start really kind of certifying every single game as like good or decent. And uh, basically, there was a interesting confluence of Steam being this per perfect kind of DRM platform with indie devs uh, before Steam, like never ever making money ever. And to where being an indie dev was like a like just a thing you did on the side and you never made money. And like, it was considered like it wasn't like considered like greedy or whatever to want money for your indie game. It's just like just never came into the equation of oh I'm gonna make, like, make money once I make this indie game right um, and I Steam actually there was like I think I think there was like at least one or two interviewers with like in this era with like IGN would track down the guy who invented some Steam game that went you know went crazy with numbers 
and they ask him about like what's it like to be rich now he's like i don't know if i'm allowed to like he like there were guys who had legitimate crises of like faith over like should i keep this money i made from putting my game on steam <laughs> yeah um because there was just it was you know it's they kind of think like imposter syndrome or a lot of these people were you know they were like uh ideologically like uh like artists or whatever you know and i and yeah, well, and there's a strong hobbyist ethos to the whole thing as well, right? I mean, there's almost a kind of like a, a yeah, an ide- quasi ideological, quasi affectational divide between like, yeah. you know, EA at the kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, EA putting out, you know, just hundred million dollar marketed, hundred million dollar art budgets, you know, these these things that are explicitly and specifically and exclusively designed to make money versus you know some guy coding on the weekends to make something that he just, you know, really likes because he really likes that genre and there's not anyone doing yeah. anything these days anymore. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy. And I, I've seen, I've seen a bunch of that too, where it's like, you know, I, there was one case, I don't even remember. I never played it. There was one game where like, there was a version of it that was on the pirate bay, but it like basically was unbeatable. Was, I think it was about like running a game development studio. Yeah, like, game dev you, uh, story. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and it would just like fuck with you more and more and more the more you got into the game, and, and people would complain about it, like what the hell? The end game is just ridiculous. Be like, you didn't pay for the game, did you? I thought that was kind of funny, but I also felt like um, it, it's almost like a one-off because typically, you know, again, much like our our thing here on on, on NIGR. Uh, you know, when you have an audience, when you have, um, it's like a Patreon thing, right? There's, I, I think there's a lot of stuff on Patreon that it's mostly or entirely free. Uh, but like, if you like it, there's, you're encouraged to, to donate or whatever you want to call I mean, let's it. Let's not get too meta. We're on a network with a paywall now <laughs> where, where you can listen to every TRS product illegally. Uh, it's if not you want hard. to, yeah, it's not and that hard. No. And if you talk to people who have paywalls in private, they'll all admit some publicly that, oh yeah, I used to steal the, I used to steal the, you know, striking mic back in the day, you know, or until I. I never did, but I, I mean, I know people who did, or, or it was, it, yeah. whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, or like, in, that, in that one case, it was basically like, it was someone who didn't want to be doxxed and for like essentially, it was someone living in Europe, and it was like kind of a complicated situation, and, and I was like, I totally sympathetic. Um, but yeah, still no. Of course, it's 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 not uncommon at all. I mean, I, I I was I was one point where I have a paywall, and I had a buddy send me through a encrypted line striking like right. <laughs> because they didn't want to get flagged on a network that you know definitely wouldn't let you on TRS. So I was like, okay, well, I guess like in the theory, you know, I'm sure, and I'm you know, there's all kinds of ethical, which I, I what's kind of neat is like the whole ethical piracy thing. Yeah, where piracy has become kind of become ideological, right? Where people will. Because I think culture, the culture being bankrupt and a lot of things that uh, basically it, it's, it's very much open now, especially in art circles, that the people who make product like hate you, right? Like utterly, people who make like, hate you, like specifically, if they heard your name, they would spit, right? If they heard you, what, what you were, what you believe, they would spit. They they dislike you particularly. So why would you give these people money? It's not even just that. It's their motivation in making product is specifically to wipe us out is specifically because they hate us and they want us gone and to like facilitate that goal they make product they make the kind of product that they make yeah but and and not every product is like explicitly like this but there's but the people who make the money are always the same people right 
this kind of movie-making faction. So, at a certain point, if you want to, like, interact with the product at all for reasons of cultural literacy, out of spite, or maybe just to enjoy and as it, as it turn your brain off without, like, actively pointing a gun at your head, uh, you need to, you know, just, just uh, acquire product. And I think, luckily, based City Project Red, a good old game, it's basically has kind of, by making good old games a thing, kind of forced every PC game that wants to be on good old games to be piratable. Yes. I think somewhat by design. I think there's a bit of an ideological bent behind that, um, in my opinion. That so, No, I think you're probably right about that. And you'll notice um, it's it's not every... Good old games yeah, has most, gotten more into all. the new release... Yeah, they've gotten more into the new release space, but not everything is on good old games, and that's definitely one of the main considerations, right? It's it's not even just about it's not so much about their cut, anybody's cut. It's about uh, are you going to architect the software in such a way that DRM can be easily removed, or you know, not like it's one thing to like not enforce DRM. It's another thing to be able to cut it out of the of the executable. Um, which is which can be quite technologically challenging. You have to devote resources to it or design it that way from the outset. And there's a lot of companies that don't want to do that. And like, okay, fine. Well, you won't be on GOG. Yeah. Which brings me to my little pithy: is uh, no blue eyes, no buys. If there's a cover and you're, if I, I could just go, if I go on Steam, I'm, I'm interested in a product. Usually for this show, if I'm downloading a thing to play for the show, which has happened before, I'll go to Steam. I see a. Let's they call non-blue-eyed people on the uh, on the official art, and I don't purchase the. I, I just I, I just go to the pirate bay. I boot up you 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 torrent, and I. Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy. I mean, especially now with piracy, got easy again. Like with how it was hard, it was hard. Piracy is now with like the advent of VPNs being basically free, effectively for like very high quality VPNs, internet service being free. Uh, also, I guess I think, I think uh, zipping up files has became common and easy to interact with. Thanks to WinRAR. That's a whole other. Oh yeah, but I I don't I never paid for WinRAR. It's so easy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no one did. No, but, but like, WinRAR was was a trip because WinRAR would always tell you it's not free software. You have to pay, but they would never enforce it. You could always just use it without ever paying. So I I don't know anyone who ever paid for a WinRAR license. Well, do you know that the the, the, the backstory of that was that that was a fuck up? That when that pop up pops, it's supposed to disable it, but it doesn't. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah, but I always found that very meta. That like the thing that you would use to like, and that was it. Oh, maybe I could mention like uh, this was probably a little too niche for you. Maybe not though. There was there was a period, like it was a very very short window, in between, uh, like. It was when CDs were a thing, but they were, weren't really CD burners widely accessible. And peer-to-peer -peer hadn't really taken off yet. Napster hadn't been invented yet. So there was, a, there was a situation where it's like, okay, how do you, like, how do you pirate uh, like, a, like a game that's on a CD, right? Because people are still going to want to do this. Um, one of the solutions, one of the main solutions for, I don't know, a couple years in the mid-90s was it would be broken up into like 1.44 megabyte, which is the size of a floppy drive, like essentially floppy disk chunks. So imagine for like a 700 megabyte game, you're talking <laughs> hundreds of 1.44 megabyte zip files. 
um, that were all also, but, but also that wasn't unheard of. Like floppy games got that not that size, but oh, there would no. You had a couple. Yeah, you, there would be like twelve disc, twelve floppy disk games, twenty floppy disk games. It wasn't. Um, yeah, that that was also in that window. Like as quote unquote multimedia was taking off, we had full motion video and 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 um, you know digital audio and stuff because like computers didn't have those kind of capabilities until basically the Pentium era um, wasn't when it was widespread. Uh, for for that kind of thing and and yeah and and, and but then when you had some there was a very narrow window also of like simultaneous floppy and CD release where the CD would have you know the the digital audio and full motion video and the floppy would be the game just without those things um, and uh, yeah so definitely but this this was like a lot of floppy disk and it was basically like something had been cut into floppy disk and then it would be hosted and you would have to have to download 1.44 megabytes at a time on your 56 k K modem and then compile all the um, yeah. all the files together in Which, Rinrar or something with that functionality. Enough, is kind of how torrent works actually. Like torrent yeah, is, you yeah, know, sure, that's a good thing, point. Yeah, is, yeah, absolutely. Came back around to that, didn't it? Um, yeah, I only ever successfully did that once with Legacy of Kane. Uh, Soul Reaver, I think, was the only title I ever actually uh, managed. There was a, there was a bunch that were like that, but it was just it was unusable. Um, but anyway. Uh, forgot where we were. We were talking about. We talk about like the, how we're currently in a golden age of piracy. And it's it's right now with VPN and high speed internet and zipping. It's so easy. It's I recommend it. Also, golden age, golden age of piracy uh, stuff. The it's, it's now really easy to uh, you know obviously Netflix and streaming services like killed piracy, but now we are also in this golden age of like illegal streaming sites. Yes, one two three TV dot live. Yeah, is just um, one of the many uh, possibilities. Yeah. Which yeah. also, I didn't one completely get this, but like a lot of them, like that one in particular, I know uses essentially peer to peer live video. I guess sort of somewhat like BitChute, which I don't. Well, I'm not even gonna pretend like, to understand how that works. To you, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, like how BitChute was promised to work, it doesn't actually work. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I I I. It kind of blows my mind that you can get live streaming video peer to peer. Like that doesn't. I mean, I've never really looked into it, but that kind of blows well, my I mind. Mean, every also like uh, notoriously, I don't want to blow the lid on this, but uh, in addition to being the finest uh, organizing tool for uh, you know the, uh, any kind of dissonant, it's Telegram is a host for. There are just channels on Telegram that are just stolen movies dot not whatever dot TV, and it's just stolen movies on stolen movies on stolen movies, and that's how I primarily. <laughs> Consume because, but you no, know, because it's so it's you can like view you can view it in you download it you can view it in Telegram make sure it's good, and then save it and then save it as an MP4, and it's it's wonderful like this is we are truly in a golden age of piracy, and I think they're they they will start cracking down this stuff again I I think we're like these things come in cycles, and I think we're due for another cycle of uh, anti piracy stuff I think you might see pressure being put on maybe VPN. Uh, You're already starting to see pressure on on VPNs. I've I've noticed. Like uh, I used to subscribe to uh, ExpressVPN, and um, when I started subscribing, it was basically just more like Exodus VPN, eh? Well, now right they were because they were just exactly that was what <laughs> so I've switched okay. to Proton uh, based uh, Swiss. Hopefully, are, are keeping up uh, their side of the thing. But um, yeah, it was it was like uh, so. It, obviously, that was the final straw. Was was ExpressVPN being brought out bought out by an Israeli company? But even before that, like 
it wouldn't interface on my mobile with the with Google Play Store. Wouldn't let me download it. I couldn't even get software updates to my phone while I was connected to VPN. Um, not even from Google, but just from 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 uh, Samsung. And uh, uh, it, it wouldn't like like websites themselves started going from like not noticing to not caring to caring a lot and not letting me access. I I couldn't. It was it was increasingly unusable. Um, now part of that's probably because ExpressVPN is very popular and, and very normie friendly and, um, I, but I guess they're all kind of nor- increasingly normie friendly these days. I don't know. Cause everybody kind of understands they're behind a VP, you know, like if you're not, a, if you're not behind a VPN at this point, like what are you doing? Or, you know, it's sort of it's really weird. Even just, I, I've, I've, talk, I've had conversations with people where like, it's not even that they're doing anything dissident or, or pirating anything or anything of the sort. They just don't like ads. They're just tired of, you know, getting, you know, ads um, served to them from their browsing history. And, like, that is another layer preventing that. Yeah. So Well, and I've, I've noticed even, so, I think I think streaming services are probably going to drive this. Where if, uh, so I had a friend purchase an HBO account to watch, I think, I don't know, I forget what it was. I think it was a new Street Fighter, which is kind of embarrassing that he was so into it. But he asked to borrow my laptop, and I had a VPN on just as a matter of course. And he's logging in with his legitimate account he legitimately purchased. It's everything checks out. He's just logging into the HBO Max thing, uh, you know, browser in the in the browser, and it says, "Hey, you got a VPN on? You can't, you can't do that." And it flagged my computer. So when we turned off the, turned off the VPN to access it, it was, still was no dice. So like, I think I think you're going to see Whoa. very aggressive Whoa. VPN flagging in the future. Yeah. Where you, I don't even know. I'm. I'm sure there was some cookie thing that it got me on, but I was like, well, I thought the VPN was that I couldn't get flagged. I thought that was the whole point. Right, right, right. I couldn't get flagged. Yeah, and here I am getting flagged. Yeah. No, that that wouldn't surprise... I think you're right, and and, and VPN... I mean, it also... I actually don't... I mean, I don't know. It depends on the company. I, I... As with anything online, I just figure, like, it's not secure. If law enforcement wants you, they'll get you. So, like, don't do anything on electronically that you don't want law enforcement to have access to because if they want access to it they'll get it um even if the company says they delete logs like just don't ever trust that but like as a kind of you know additional layer of defense and as a kind of you know um just something to make people's lives harder especially people who aren't necessarily law enforcement who don't have that level of power um or capability uh you know just to make their lives harder because it's one thing, like, you know, law enforcement can issue a subpoena, right? Like, Antifa cannot, in theory, just issue a subpoena or, you know, there's, there's, um, uh, et cetera. So, um, yeah. And, and then it just becomes a question ultimately of, um, you know, when and how and where to use VPN and how to, you know, maximize, like, even if it starts getting cracked down, like, you know, the other thing is it's, it's in a very similar way to its kind of, um, like it's trivial at a certain level to break DRM compared to architecting DRM. Uh, like it's a tug of war and one side is just inherently stronger and on a long enough timeline is always going to win. Uh, similar thing, I think with VPNs, like the, to the extent that there's a demand for the service and obviously the demand is overwhelming and increasing, um, you know, companies like, well, maybe, maybe then you go, I'm just thinking out loud. Maybe they just end up going after the free market in it, but there's always going to be a market. There's always going to be some kind of market for something like a VPN service. And companies are always going to be able to like make a new server or a new virtual private server or whatever, and offer, you know, uh, bandwidth for a price to people who are willing to pay for it. Right. So you may see price increase for more, you know, 
usable and actually secure or, or on a sliding scale of security uh, services, um, you know, and bypassing things like I, I've seen multiple VPN services basically advertising like, look, we have these are the servers that you can pirate Netflix on. These are the servers that you cannot. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, also, I, I would point out, I think I forgot this, and it's kind of a, I'm kind of crazy I didn't think of it, but you mentioned how, uh, you know, with things like Fortnite, how, how would you even cheat the hat in? Well, there actually are people who are smart enough to do what is effectively that, where there is a major, large amount of people who are like cheaters, who are doing much more yes. advanced stuff yes. than like stealing a hat, where they are going faster, seeing through walls. Yes. And I think that's, and that's like the, probably the absolute tippy tip of the spear of fucking with DRM in the modern era is that they are getting inside of, like, you are tricking the, the, the like, you're tr tricking the, the game's host servers. Yes, um, you're fucking with the executable code oftentimes on the server back. side, um, depending. And, and also, like, on everyone in the game. Like, so let's say that's 64 game or 100 person match at Fortnite. You are fucking with everyone. Absolutely everybody. <laughs> right. And no one's catching it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, like, the peak. And I don't think, I, don't, I just don't think that's, if, if, if that's being done, like, not casually, but, like, it's not rare to hear about, like, a game. Oh, it all happens all the time. Well, that that's an interesting. That's a really good point. Is basically anti-cheat is kind of like DRM for those kind of ga games, almost, um, or it ends up filling that role um, because there's not really an incentive to 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 pirate cheat, cheat in hats, right? But there yeah, is but there is to, exactly to to you know automatically headshot or something. Um, yeah, so that that's an interest. That's a really good point. That's really interesting to to think about. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, it's like again, it's just this is and this is where the thing about like the information wants to be free that I keep harping on, and 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 um, it's like it's not that information wants to be free. It's that there's a game of cat and mouse, or tug, not even because that implies an well, there is an imbalance. That's the thing, is but it's not like the government is the cat, but the cat is like it's like a little baby cat, and the mouse is Giga Chad Mouse or something like like the, the mouse is always going to win that game on a long enough timeline or the the the, the people who are interested in you know the, the, the cheating anti-cheat stuff DRM stuff anti-piracy stuff it's always reactive it's always at a minimum one and, and more typically you know several steps behind the people who are doing that and it's always a question of mitigating catching up and um well, trying to close the barn door after the horse has already left most, yeah in most like kind of arms races like this uh there's not so there's like a I guess there's kind of a ghost of the machine here in favor of the cheaters or the pirates is that a large portion of the competent coders that are of the, uh, you know, decent, hardworking American salt of the earth types, so the salt of the earth race works in these jobs, and they tend to ideologically be blend closer to the pirates, right? So you'll have a guy who makes a pretty cool anti-cheat measure, and he tells all the guys in his company about it, and you know, within a year, that's on all the forums. Is here's how we employ this measure. Here's every little little element of what we do, uh, and that's just because a they want to talk about it and show off, but also because like these guys also are generally the exact same guys. They'll go home after working on like on DRM software and try to rip like, you know, rip 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 uh, games right that that aren't rippable because because if you're interested in one, you're kind of always be interested in the other. So it's this uh it's a, it's a kind of a catch twenty two in that. The best guys to employ are also going to go home and try to break the thing they make it work. 
Um, so that's just the way it is. Just the way it is, and and there's not you know much that can be that much that can be done done about it. Um, yeah, I mean this kind of piracy. I, think, I mean that's the the at a certain level, you know, just t- take a couple steps back. Um, like I, I I think at a certain level the problem to the extent there's a, it's a problem stems from just the nature of digital technology. Like if you think about it, uh, in analog world, you have a book, let's say that you want to pirate, you want to, you know, illegally produce quote unquote pirate, not that they would have called that, but you want to illegally produce and publish, uh, copies of distribute you know, copies of, um, Oh, and, and Oh, and do I, <laughs> <laughs> I have several in fact, yeah. uh, <laughs> like it, Okay, you could say, well, you know, maybe a book's not a great example because text is actually fairly um, easy to, to, to transfer relatively losslessly. But yes, like, uh, believe me, I know. <laughs> guess, guess, guess how much money I spent on, on, on a Warhammer book? Zero, uh, I'm guessing zero dollars, right. I've, uh, I've probably read at least a hundred. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, if you're paying a dime for the Horus Heresy, you're a boomer. Unless you just, like, have a really, you know, uh, yeah, sentimental attachment to dead trees. Yeah. But true, but also like GW hates you and yeah. Well, that and again, similar dynamic there for sure. Um, I, I my thing is with the books like, like for example, Antelope Hill stuff. I I want to um, have both digital and physical because I mean I, I trust you know obviously Antelope Hill is never gonna like alter. Also, they also under they undercut most uh, like digital copies. Yes, like, digital copy on Amazon is like or for a book is like what ten and fifteen dollars. Yeah, it's like six dollars I think typically on. I think the hill the hills charges what like. And no DRM, and it's a very good. It's it's a good honor system, and if you're pirating Antelope Hill books, literally unironically, go redact yourself. Um, No, but also like I mean, hopefully, I mean, hey, or also like. Just like share the, I mean, I think there's like a you could you know at a certain point you're when you're pushing out like dissident information, the the. Yeah, I guess I could see that side. Yeah, sure, that's that's true. Anyway, um, I didn't want to get, but the but the point is like, uh, like with okay, not books aren't a great example, but let's say um, like paintings or, or 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 movies, like old style movies that used to be made on film are are are, are maybe one of the, the single best example of this is like anything analog essentially degrades not only over time but but it's, but per copy, um, where like every time you make a copy of a copy of a copy, there's a loss in quality. Uh, you take a photograph, you make a photograph of that photograph or Xerox of that Xerox, and then you you know if you make if you make a bunch of Xeroxes right at once, at, you right click an NFT and worthless. <laughs> yeah, the NFT gang gang. Yes, well that's I mean you know you print screen and hey, I I didn't have to pay the hundred million dollars I got the the NFT anyway. Um, and now I delete it because I don't like it. Actually, I don't actually like it. <laughs> but but uh, for for with digital things because of the nature of digital technology there's no like you copy i mean obviously you copy a file you copy it in a new folder you copy that file that's already a copy you copy it and you paste it in a new folder you copy that and you paste it in a new folder there's no loss of anything it's literally the exact same data right um so so like the the that's because when you're talking about you know like a film there was a time where if you wanted an illegal copy of a vhs you would have to have you know like it'd be physical film and there'd be a master physical film and you could you know you could put it in a vhs copying machine and spit out a new vhs but that would inherently necessarily be of lower quality 
further away from the original than than the one that you had, which is itself a copy. And then every time you did that, it would just degrade in quality until it was basically useless. Um, nothing that just nothing like that exists in in the digital space, and that's just not how digital technology works fundamentally. Um, so it, it's it's really it's a tricky question. It's it's a very very tricky question. Like, what would it mean, for example, to you know putting it slightly differently because we're talking about games. Right, like you buy a chessboard. What would it mean to pirate like a chessboard? You know, like to say nothing like let's say or or something. You know, maybe not chess because chess is obviously you know very old and there's no such thing as a copyright. But let's say some kind of you know, let's say Axis and Allies that we've talked about before, or a board game or whatever. What would it yeah, mean like 3D to print like, X, like 3D print Axis yeah. and Allies pieces? And even then, you wouldn't have the like. Maybe you could print out on you know you, you know like the the, the game well, actually, map. Actually, speaking. Of- Games Workshop, this is actually a big thing for them because there's a threat that uh, people are going to start printing their own Warhammer figurines. I've and heard that, but then I've heard that it basically doesn't work at like it, it's just, like economically. And, well, the economics of it are dubious at they best. Do they, it's not quite there yet in terms of the commercial printer because they're very fine detail. Like Games Workshop is for all their flaws, their plastic, their 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 resin models are terrible, but their plastic models are probably the best in the business in terms of detail and things like that. Um, and it's going to be a while before consumer-grade 3D printer can top that. But I think the, the big thing is issues is that, like, when you get to what does it mean to pirate this thing, um, that you add value. Like, if you are playing Warhammer 40K, the, the board game, or any of the Warhammer, or any you are adding value to Games Workshop by being a player of their game. Because the more people are out there playing their board yeah, game, yeah, of means people are buying their product. So... You really, it's it, it's kind of like chess where you really can't meaningfully, like, you, you really can't damage them by, you, the, piracy really, it has a very hard time, like, I actually don't know about I being an ideological thing, it's more of like a method of a boycott than a method of like a, it's mm-hmm. not an offensive action, it's a defensive action you're taking uh, against a thing, and I, yeah, I, I don't think it's possible uh, and damage a product. If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't. I, that's. Do I don't think that it is, and 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 that's. The I think th- no. There's never been a video game or a movie or a music that failed as a piracy, ever. And there are ones that have failed as a DRM for sure. Oh yeah. And DRM is probably. Um. So you know. I, it, it's 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 an interesting dynamic, and and you. I mean, I can see why like a company would be like. Obviously, I have to have some way of preventing people from just copying and sharing well, and I think there is a, in terms of the cost benefit if you impose like relatively minor costs on people for doing it or just make it a certain threshold difficulty there probably is a somewhere on that bell curve or cost benefit curve a where you are like net positive if you slightly inconvenience people right oh yeah so yeah yeah I'm thinking about the those seven lines that I keep referring to like in its original context, it was essentially to allow because um, in order to play a DVD, I don't remember all the details, but basically the the DVD has to do some kind of check with the physical laser hardware, uh, the optical drive itself, um, which like it was, it was checking essentially to make sure that it was encrypt- encrypted, enabled, even if it wasn't actually using it, um, and and that involved some kind of a fee essentially being paid to the consortium that 
produced the technology in the first place. This is why OGs may remember on the original Xbox, it had a DVD drive, but it couldn't play DVD movies unless you purchased the remote. It wasn't because the remote did anything special. It's because it basically told your Xbox, oh, okay, uh, th this, D like, this person has paid a fee that amounts to the license fee for the hardware to be able to interact with the disc. Um, so it was like, the problem was on, on Linux at the time in like 1990, whatever, uh, there was no like, you know, Linux being then as it pretty much still is now for the most part, like nobody had, people had <laughs> optical drives, but they didn't have like optical drives that had paid the fee to the consortium or had any way of telling the consortium or telling for the disc to like interface with that part of the software system, um, to let it know that you had had paid. I think you had a similar thing even on, on windows at the time, as I recall, uh, uh, where basically like like windows, even if you had a DVD drive in your computer, you couldn't play DVDs unless you had a paid for program. Um, even like a certain versions of windows media player or whatever they called it at the time that like would let it know that you were, uh, let's say kosher. Um, uh, eventually that fee basically just got, got waived or like it's, it's, that license is now just part of the standard Windows operating system license, but that that system well, still exists. Which which speaking of pirate, that also really back into piracy, where like VLC is the reason for that, right? VLC. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And 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 at the time, it's like okay, so how many sales did the the DVD consortium, you know, the the manufacturers and software developers who put to this technology? Because when 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 like DVDs, CDs, all this stuff, like CDs were like originally developed by Philips, this Dutch company mainly, but like it wasn't just a Philips thing. It was Sony. It was a bunch of companies all having to come together and agree on like these are you know it's going to be physically this size is going to like the things that read it are going to have these you know it's going to you have to have standards this is the whole point of like having standards in industry for like an industry-wide consortium to be able to like you know have things be interoperable um and so which the linux optical, which kind of optical light is going to read these yeah exactly and what spectrum and and what intensity yeah. and and all these things have to be and this is why you had sometimes on on a, uh there were reports in these days of like knockoff chinese dvd drives basically making your discs unusable because the the laser would be too strong and it would essentially burn the the um the in, in the disc itself because it was too intense like you know stuff like that it was unlicensed wasn't a color debate where hd dvds were red and blu-rays were blue yeah and like this in this was in this and this just couldn't this didn't work because of the way optical drives work was that was basically the big like fight is there are these all these layers can be blue or red and it caused a whole like like, I guess, like, what if, like, what's the, I guess, like, like, a duopoly of the two, or, or, or like, a consortium split between Microsoft and a few small ones and all the major disc people, uh, where HD DVDs and Blu-ray, uh, yeah, it's very, that stuff's all, HD DVDs Blu-ray is, like, kind of eternally, like, uh, a great example of every, like, of just corporate interaction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember that whole that, that fight lasted about six months before the HD DVDs were all like selling for a dollar. <laughs> it was it was a, it was a fun it was fun. Well, I don't I remember seeing it like the Tower Records, you know, like like HD DVDs priced equally with Blu-rays, you know, whatever thirty forty bucks a pop, whatever it was. And I was like, there's no, I mean, Blu-ray is just obviously going to win. I don't know why what Microsoft is even thinking. Um, but but anyway, to return to the point, like, so how many sales? Not even sales. It's like. Who on the like? Because if you're a, imagine you're a Linux user, 
and somebody at Microsoft or Sony or whoever is telling you that like you have to pay a license fee in order to use your hardware that you own to read a DVD that you also own on your own computer that you own and made uh, or whatever, you know, assembled. Um, <laughs> and and like the, the data is there. It's just the the you know like they don't like that you that there's a that 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 you have a way of accessing it without paying them even though you own every other aspect of the system. Like how many sales did they lose? Was, you know zero, yeah. right? Like there's nobody also, who. Sorry, yeah, go on. Notoriously, Mass Effect Three had like on the disc they had was it the Prothean characters and like the oh yeah right the Jamaican uh, the, the Jamaican guy yeah. yeah the Prothean Jamaican he's, guy. He's on the physical disc. But yeah. you can't access him yeah. unless you pay five bucks. And I remember the, the I think it was absolute, fifteen, but whatever, it doesn't Yeah, just the rate people were pissed. And I was I mean I, the thing is like also that's also like how it's I don't think Mass Effect three lost sales or games really ever lose sales for it, but you lose like fans and like Yeah, you lose clout. And then that does eventually translate into lost yeah, sales, I think right? I, and look if you look at Bioware I think Bioware has like pissed away all their clout, right? Uh, we should do a game record at some point. They like keep delaying. I don't think Dragon. I don't know if Dragon Age Four is ever gonna come. Yeah, they basically have. They're just down the tubes entirely. Like nobody cares. Nobody is listening. It's just sad. But yeah, exactly. They lost, and that was really the. I, I guess you know we we went over a Mass Effect episode, and, and and we won't rehash it here. But you could you could trace elements of the decline to two. But I think the launch of three was really the beginning of the end. Which, uh, just quite briefly, the, uh, if you are a new listener, thanks to our debut on the right stuff.biz, we, on our RSS feed, you can access our entire team questions, how to access the backlog. The whole backlog is as of now on the RSS feed. Yeah, everything's on the, uh, I, so, I, so, yeah, sorry. I, so I, download I it all, put it all on, put it all on a pirate bay, whatever you think I do. You know? Yes, definitely. This is, um, <laughs> free to pirate content. And I, I've been remiss and I made a joke earlier about videos. I've been horribly remiss in updating things on on youtube and odyssey i will try to slowly start remedying that because i just keep moving the target further and further back and that sucks and if and in the spirit of piracy if you the user would like to download from the rss feed and put it on you on youtube or or odyssey we would actually like that or bitch you oh yeah Go absolutely ahead. put upload, it wherever upload our stuff for sure like yeah keep circling the tapes yeah <laughs> Like with the the bootleggers with the tapes. Oh, that's a whole other side of it. We didn't even like the bootleg tape thing and like physical you know. piracy is a different, whole different thing. Yeah, but well, that's a yeah. I think like Grateful Dead concerts, right? Far. And like the whole like the 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 yeah. Deadhead we've come pretty far. Cu- yeah. Culture of yeah, people like making these illegal bootleg recordings. I'll and trade then... you the '76 show for the '94 show. Bro. Exactly, exactly. Very robust culture for those of you familiar with it. Um, but unfortunately, I I think. I think we're just about out of time and and i don't know yeah. how much more there is to say really um about this like interesting phenomenon that I, I i i think at a certain point it's like whatever you want to call it piracy is sort of like the uh, you know legal or quasi-legal term for you know sharing in ways that the gatekeepers haven't approved um yeah that is like enable like once you as i think you say is that once you have when you have broadband when you have fast internet connections and large capacity hard drives like the technological problem then becomes more of like 
it, it's irrelevant. Then it's become, especially when you add VPNs, but even without that, um, it's more of like a social and or to some extent legal potentially problem rather than a technological problem. And, and it's endemic to the nature of digital culture. It's endemic to the internet and computing systems, the interface with the internet as they exist today and as they will continue to exist for the foreseeable future. And I would really have to say, unless, like you're talking about walled gardens, uh, like the iOS, they've tried, not even in that far in the past, I mean, there was an abortive attempt at Windows 8 and an even more abortive attempt in Windows 10 to like try to integrate more Microsoft App Store functionality. We'll see how Windows 11 goes. <clears throat> but, you know, uh, it's a really, really hard problem. And there may, I don't know, it's an interesting question, ultimately, I guess, how many, like, you know, maybe there's just enough brain-dead normies who are going to um, just buy whatever, you know, like, do, you know, if, if, if now Apple makes the next Apple product and the next Microsoft product, both of them are essentially walled gardens where you cannot install just random shit from the internet, but you must go through their app store. Like even that's probably circumventable to some extent, but let's say it isn't. Um, I don't I know. Mean, it's it's so circumventable. Like you can. I love. Have you ever? Have you used iOS much? I would shut this up. But not really. But if you, I've I've been I've an iOS a long time iOS user, and there are ways to get apps that aren't on the app store. Oh, I know. And yeah, jailbreaking and all this kind yeah. of. Imagine you know jailbreaking no, 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 and not I, even like there there are in browser. If, if a company <laughs> or a service wants to do it, you yeah. can download apps from the browser, from like Safari. Yeah, so I mean, all of this stuff you is- like, you, that, yeah. you have to like turn off all the safeties and stuff. Of course. But it's not like you're changing it anything at like a right. warranty, warranty voiding level. But I think we should uh, start signing off. We, we will, I, I, just, I just wanted to say like, like to conclude the point I was making that um, real quick is, is that uh, like it's going to be with us, and unless like nor unless there's like true mass market adoption of walled garden desktop, not mobile, not just mobile, but desktop walled gardens, it's going to continue to be with us. And even then, I think that then you'd see maybe even a more robust infrastructure on on free and open source like Linux and and you know distributions and things like that that are going to inherently just not that's just never you know you're going to be able to install whatever package you want um, on your computing platform. Um, so. So yeah, anyway, I, um, I hope this has been interesting. I definitely had a great time discussing it and, and taking a little bit of a trip down memory lane. I hope it wasn't purely nostalgia. Maybe you learned something. I definitely learned some things. And um, yeah, uh, did you have anything? Uh, yeah, listen to Weird Al song. Don't download this song uh, for the kind of brief, a brief history. It's not bad. It covers all this stuff pretty, uh, pretty well. Instead of listening to a two-hour two-hour episode of this, <laughs> <laughs> listen to one. Download illegal. Yeah. Make sure to pirate that song though. Make sure to pirate yeah. the the Weird Al song. Don't pay for it. All right. Uh, take care, everybody. Tom, girls are...